All right, good morning. Let's give the Lord a hand for what he did last week on Easter. Amen. Wow. I don't know if you figure this out, but I'm kind of a, a new guy around here. My wife and I, who's over here on the front row, uh, we've been coming in and out of Seacoast for a couple of years, working with the staff a little bit, trying to straighten some of them out. You got some really hurting staff. They're a little off, you know, but no, I'm kidding. But, uh, and then uh, last year, about this time, uh, a little bit earlier, Pastor Greg asked us to consider coming down here and being part of the team at Seacoast. And we just want y'all to know we're so honored to be a part of you guys. And last week was just amazing. That was our first Easter with you guys. And it was so much fun. This morning, we have the privilege of talking about probably my absolute favorite subject. Uh, Pastor Greg kicked off the series last week called Love Is... And uh, the series is from 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter. And um, what I'm going to try to do this morning is answer a question. And the question I'm going to try to answer is, why is love so hard? And um, honestly, if you stopped me and said, you know, dude, you got a little bit of gray hair, you've been around for a while, you know, looks like you, you know, bumped into a few walls with your head a little bit, so maybe you've learned something. And if you ask me, sir... What, what have you learned that's been helpful to you over these 35 years that you've walked with God? What I'm going to talk to you about today is the number one thing I would tell you. If you ask me, what have you learned that's helped you the most? Be yourself, have a healthy relationship with your wife, relate to other people in a fashion that makes it, listen to this now, makes it very hard to manipulate and control you. What have you learned that's helped you do all that? What we're going to talk about today is the number one thing I would tell you that I've learned. And my prayer is that God will really use it to kind of help you this morning. Our text for this morning, it's not going to be up here, I don't think, but our text for this morning is the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. And what it talks about is, he says, Paul is coming out of chapter 12. Chapter 12 is about the use of the gifts of the Spirit. How many of you know God's not done doing miracles? Raise your hand if you believe that. How many of you know he wants to do miracles through us? So one of the ways he does that is he gives us these things we call the gifts of the Spirit. And the bottom line is the Corinthian church was kind of enjoying the gifts, but they were getting a little bit abusive. And so he was kind of bringing some correction in chapter 12, and then he kind of went back to it in chapter 14. But here in 13... He kind of like, we're talking about the supernatural power of God and how to act when you're in church. But right in the middle, he says, you know, we need to talk about something really, really important. And he says, let's talk about love for a minute. So he talks about, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can know the mysteries of God, you can do miracles, you can raise the dead, you can have faith to move mountains, you can be so generous, people are awed by your generosity. You can give yourself sacrificially. But this one phrase he repeats, but if you don't have love. This love, big deal. How many of you know love's a really big deal? And a lot of these statements will be in your notes. How many of you know love's a really big deal? How many of you can think of a time that you did something you wished you hadn't done because you wanted love? How many of you can think of a time when you felt love and it was so powerful? But how many of you can think of a time when you didn't feel love and you reached for other things to either get love or medicate yourself because you weren't getting love? 
So what we're going to try to do this morning is talk about this whole idea of why is love so hard. Would you agree with me that relationships make us experience more pleasure and pain than anything else in life? Say yes if you agree with that. Relationships, love, brings us more pleasure and pain than anything else in life. And that's kind of what we're going to talk around today. Talk around today. God designed you and I, us, and everybody outside of these walls. God designed us to need love, to want love, and to function at a really high level when we get it. So what we're going to do is look at this whole idea. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4 and uh, just talk a little bit about love. I love 1 John 4, the whole chapter, but we're going to use this to push us where I want us to go this morning. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. How many of you want to know God? Raise your hand if you want to know God. I want to know him. I really, really want to know him. So whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God says in a nutshell this, if you don't know love, you can't know God. How you know love is an indication of how you know God. Now let me tell you, in my years of walking with God, the most important way, the most helpful way I've learned to know God's love is by watching how he loves other people. By watching, experiencing how he loves other people. Guess what? Including myself. But let me tell you a story. Years ago, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I'm a counselor. I think, you know, that's sort of sneaking out. Um, I, I've spent about 30 years as a marriage and family counselor as well as a pastor. And there's this one church that I used to go to every week and do counseling. And I would show up at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon and go to about 8 o'clock that night. I'd have seven appointments back to back. Boom, 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 boom. And I'd get there at about 1, and, and uh, this lady named Diane, I think at the time, would give me my, my um, list of appointments. And, you know, a lot of times they were, you know, people that I'm seeing regularly, and then they'd be new people inserted in. So this one day, she gave me my list, and she said, your last appointment is a new person, and uh, not really a part of the church, but must be a friend or a family member. And I said, okay, whatever. So I get to that end of the day, and it's been a hard day. It's been grueling. It's been emotionally difficult. I mean, how many of you can imagine, you can get into some really deep stuff in counseling. And I was just tired, I was drained. I mean, I was whipped in every way imaginable, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I was just tired. So my last appointment, I walk the couple I'm with out, and I go to meet this last person who I've never met before. And um, I meet the person, and we walk back down the hall and into my little room, you know. And next thing I know, this room just fills with this ugly, mean nasty energy and this person is cussing like crazy i'm not talking about the you know the, the the sort of like the light end of the scale i'm talking like the whole one the bomb everything i'm talking like if you were walking by my door i'm thinking man i hope nobody's out there listening 
I mean, it was like, ah, and this person had experienced so much hurt and so much pain and so much rejection. And they were so just filled with the hurt. And I'm just, I'm sitting there and I'm tired and I'm looking at this person. I'm going, God, really? You couldn't have done this at one o'clock? And then I'm thinking, Diane, I'm going to strangle you, girl. How dare you do this to me? And I'm just sitting there looking at this person who is so just emanating this ugly energy. And I'm like, I don't feel like messing with this. And then I heard this little voice somewhere in the room. And it said, Chipper, would you love her for me? I said, what? Chipper, I've been looking her whole life for someone that would show her my love. Would you please do that for me? I sat up real straight. In, inside myself, I bowed and I said, Sir, I would be honored. I would be honored. Now listen to me. That story's not about me. That story's about God. Now you know what? That God, I'll follow anywhere. I've experienced in 30 years of pastoring and counseling intense moments where I was privileged to experience God's love for people. Can I tell you right now, and maybe five more times before we get finished, God's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. Oh, he'll love me if, when, and because. No, he loves you, period. He loves you right now, all he's ever going to love you. And we got to figure out why that's just not working for us. All right, in your notes, God wants you to know love. If you want to, insert the little word his. God wants you to know his love. Now, here's the deal. Knowing love is the key to knowing God. He doesn't want you to know about his love. He wants you to know his love. That next statement says this. No, in the original language, in the, in the uh, Greek language, it isn't no like we do, you know, like study it to go take a test. That's how you know math. No means you have an intimate relationship that's been developed through experience and interaction. No means that you have progressively become acquainted with and aware of his love. God wants you to know his love. He wants you to be acquainted with it, aware of it. I personally believe all the time. Love is the ultimate why of all creation. What do you mean by that? We just celebrated Easter last week. Why? Why did God do that? Why did Jesus have to do that? One of the best ways I know to kind of push you where I want to go is tell you a story. And I've got his permission to tell this, so don't, don't freak out. But uh, Mac Lake's a very dear friend of mine. And um, Mac's the one who brought me in here a couple years ago, and I started to work with the staff and different things. Well, one of the times I was here working with the staff, Mac and I, you know, we were finished for the day, and Mac was literally walking me out the doors out here to my car. And we were on our way out to the car, and honestly, Mac was kind of bringing up some issues that he wanted to process. How many of you know men are more comfortable with the word process than counseling? So Mac wanted to process something. So I'm like, you know, I'm walking to the car, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a little two, three-minute conversation and whatever. 
But I could tell, how many of you can feel a moment when God's setting somebody up? So I could tell, ooh, this feels like God's setting Mac up. So we're talking a little bit. I, wanted, I felt like God wanted Mac to see something. So I said, Mac, how do you start your day? Now, Mac's a solid believer, been walking with God for years. So he just started, you know, boom, boom. I have a quiet time, and I read my Bible, and I offer up myself to God as, you know, instruments of righteousness in Romans 6. And I, I commit to worship, and I just tell him how much I love him. And I said, Mac, what a loser way to start your day. I said, wouldn't it be awful if that's how my kids approached me every morning? Dad, this is what I'm going to do for you today, and I'm so grateful for this, and if there's anything you need me for me today, and I'm like, really? And I'm like, Mac, slow down, dude. I said, do you want to fulfill God's purpose for your life? And if you know Mac, man, dude, you know he does. Man, you know I do. How many of you in this room want to fulfill God's purpose for your life? Raise your hand if you want to. What does that mean? That means when we throw dirt on you, you want us to be able to say some really cool stuff about how hard you lived your life for God. So I said, Mac, you want to you live your life fulfilling God's ultimate purpose? Yes, I do. I said, well, then you've got to answer a question, and so do you. You've got to answer this question. Why did he create you? Why did he create you? I do this sometimes when we can be interactive, and I ask, why did God create us? And I usually get answers like this, to worship him, to serve him, to witness to others, to change the world. And I'm like, okay, so far all wrong. Those are byproducts of why he created you. Why did he create you? Because if you want to fulfill his purpose, you've got to figure out why you're breathing his air. This is my answer. God was so full of something, he needed somewhere and someone to pour it into. Why did he create you? To love him. We love him because he first loved us. Why did he create you? So that he could love you. Why did he create you? To be loved. How does he want you to start your day? Letting him love you. Why is love so hard? Because we're trying to give something away we've never learned to receive. We're trying to, I don't think that's in your notes in that form, but we're trying to give something away we've never learned to receive. Look with me at Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, they came to Jesus and they were going to try to trip him up and get him in trouble. So what they said to him was, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, Jesus, what's the biggest issue on the heart of God? And they were trying to get him in trouble. I believe he answered in a word for us. What was the word that his answer was? Love. What he literally said was, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I believe without taking a breath, he said, and love your neighbor, how? As you love yourself. Now, I'm sure you can figure out as a counselor, I'm kind of a people watcher. I just kind of watch people. I mean, I just kind of watch, and I'm like, wow, that was kind of interesting. And I just watch. Well, you know what I've observed? Love your neighbor as yourself is one thing we automatically do. Now, let that one settle on you. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. 
How many of you are quick enough to realize, hmm, we got a problem? We got a problem. Because I am, I am loving other people the same way I love myself. And you know what? I ain't liking myself too much. One of the craziest things I've observed in 30 years is the one person we forget needs love from us is us. Do you realize the hardest person you're ever going to have to learn to love is yourself? The hardest person you're ever going to have to learn to love is the one sitting in your chair. But then listen to me. The process you go through to learn to love yourself is then the muscle you use to love others. Once you learn to love yourself, everybody else is easy. So next statement in your notes is, you have to get love to give love. You have to get love to give love. We've already mentioned we love him because he first loved us. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17 says this, those who receive, say receive one time, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. It doesn't say those who know about grace. It doesn't say those who understand righteousness. It doesn't say those who can preach about it. It says those who receive it. Same thing with love. Knowing God's love isn't being able to write a treatise on it. Knowing God's love is having become acquainted with it and aware of it through experience and interaction. Right now, there's radio waves flowing through this room. I don't know what the channels are in Charleston. My wife and I have just been here a few months. I'm not a big radio listener. But the bottom line is, there's radio waves flowing through there. Can anybody in the room hear them right now? If so, please come up front. We need to pray for you. <laughs> You're really not supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> now, why not? Because you don't have the proper equipment tuned to the proper channel. Now, guess what? The love of God is flowing through this room right this very second. Right this very second. But here's the deal. Most of us haven't learned how to tune our heart to the frequency of heaven and just go, ah, and receive his love. How many of you agree that the process Jesus went through on Easter weekend, his death, burial, and resurrection, how many of you, how many of you saw the passion of the Christ? I believe it was even worse than that. But how many of you believe Jesus went through a really crazy process? Do you know why he did that? So that you and I could walk into the presence of God like we belong there. And we could walk up to our Heavenly Father and sit in His lap. And our Heavenly Father could hold us and tell us how much He loves us and how awesome we are and how amazed He is at how we handle what life throws at us and how He sees how hard we're trying to stop that stuff that we know is not good for us. Oh, He's mad at me. Dude, please. Please. He understands the mess you're in worse than you do. He loves you. I love this statement. I say it about every second time I preach. Jesus did it hard so we could do it easy. 
Say that with me. Jesus did it hard so we could do it easy. Why in the world did Jesus do that? So that God could get his hands on you. So that God could push sin aside. Whose sin? Yours. So God could push your sin aside and say, come here, darling. Come here, darling. Yeah, but God, I'm so dirty. Come here, darling. Yeah, but God, I'm probably going to do it again. Come here, darling. Yeah, but God, I hurt people. Come here, darling. Because you know what I've learned about people? If you wait till you stop sinning to get love, ain't going to happen. But if you learn to get love, you just might stop sinning. How many of you know we got the order backwards? God's not waiting for you to clean your act up. Why do you think Jesus did what he did? Because you can't, won't, and will never, in your own strength, clean your act up. And he wanted to be able to love you in the meantime. Say yes if that makes any sense. All right, another verse I love, Matthew 10, 8. Jesus was dispatching his, his uh, guys to go out into towns and minister in the very area Pastor Greg was just talking about. He said, go out and cast out devils, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom. And in this one verse, Matthew 10, 8, he said this really cool statement. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. Let's play with it just a little bit. What if with difficulty you receive? Guess what? With difficulty you give. What if through a wall of fear and shame you receive? Then guess what? Through a wall of fear and shame you give. What if with conditions attached you receive? than with conditions attached you give. Why is love so hard? Because we're trying to give something away we haven't learned how to receive. Is God a holy being, yes or no? I mean, does that mean he's like standards are really, really high, right? So am I saying God doesn't have any standards or conditions? I'm not saying that at all. What am I saying? That he set the conditions and then Jesus met the conditions. And then what Jesus said to you and I is, if you would, I please would love and be honored if you would receive, I took on me what you deserved so that you could take on you what I deserve. How many of you want to value what God values? How many of you want to love what God loves? How many of you want to esteem what God esteems? How many of you really mean that? Do you realize that God values you? God honors you? God loves you? Do you hold yourself in the same level of honor that he does? How many of you have ever been to an auction? You ever been to an auction? Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to auction off my iPad, and it's full of preaching notes and all kinds of cool stuff. So it's not just an iPad. It's cool stuff. So we're at an auction, and the auctioneer, uh, I've been coached to do this. The auctioneer goes, hey, you're getting your 
<laughs> I can't help but act silly when I do that. Bottom line is this. The auctioneer says, who will give me five, who will give me ten? Here's the question. What would you give for something being auctioned off? You would give whatever that object is worth to you. You would look at that object and you would decide, you know, that thing's worth about five bucks. That thing's worth a thousand bucks. That painting is worth a million bucks. You would decide, to me, I'll only pay this much. Now, the question is, what did God pay to get his hands on you? What did he pay? What did it, in a name? Jesus. Please listen to me. Do you realize that if you came up and sat on this ledge and Jesus himself sat next to you and one of us went to God the Father and said, God, who do you value more, Jesus or my brother, my sister, my brother? Who do you value more? And you know what you'd hear? Silence. Because he couldn't answer. Why did Jesus do what he did? Because you are worth that much to him. And he wants that much to get his love into you. Next statement in your notes, how you get love is how you give love. How you get it is how you give it. Freely means without cost or conditions. If you have to pay anything for love, it ain't love. We could talk the rest of our week on that one. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 drives this point home. We can't love him or others until after we've received and experienced and enjoyed his love for us. Now let me ask you guys, as we slide towards some other thoughts, the same question I asked Mac. How do you start your day? And the cool thing is, is Paul rolled out of 12 about the gifts of the Spirit and into 13, chapter 13, he said this statement, let me show you a more excellent way. Well, if you'll allow me, I want to show you a more excellent way to start your day. Next statement, learn to live loved. Learn to live loved. Now, is learn a process or an event? Is that done in an hour? A weekend? A month? What if it took you years? What if from right this moment you set yourself, I'm going to learn to live loved? What if between you, right this moment, and the obstacle course you have to go across to get there, what if it took you two or three years? Would it be worth it to learn to live loved? Can I give you all a little whatever, bump, push, whatever? I beg you to consider that it would be. You could basically divide my 35 years in God down the middle. And half of it, I live trying to earn love, get love, live life without love. The other half of, this is while a Christian now, the other half of my Christianity, I've kind of lived under the shadow of what we're talking about. How to live loved. How to feel loved. How to start my day feeling loved. And I really, really want to help you guys jump into the deep end of that pool because it's sweet stuff. In John chapter 7, Jesus stood up at a festival again, right in the area where Pastor Greg and our wonderful friends are. And he stood up and he said, on the last and greatest day of the feast or festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, 
Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Thirst, I heard Dallas Willard say one time, thirst is the pain or discomfort of unmet need. And the crazy thing about it is we'll turn to all kinds of stuff to get our thirst quenched. Listen to me. Every addiction, if you've got anybody in your life, yourself included, who deals with addictions of any kind at any level, every addiction, in my humble opinion, is directly or indirectly affected by, if not driven by, this thing Jesus called thirst. And what it is is your soul's need for stuff. Every addiction including that white box with the handle on it that when you open the light comes on? Anybody with me? Or that brown, gooey stuff that melts in your mouth? Any of you ladies know what I'm talking about? Any addiction, any addiction, directly or indirectly, listen to me, is right need, wrong solution. In other words, every addiction is I need something I don't know how to get correctly, so I turn to this. Anytime you eat when you're not hungry, it's emotional eating. What are you saying, dude? Anytime you turn to anything to feed you when you don't really need that, it's to get another need met. So what's the answer? We've got to figure out how to quench our thirst correctly. A little while later in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters this woman by the well, this Samaritan woman by the well. And they have this dialogue that's really cool, but we don't have time to break it all down. But here's the bottom line. She's on her fifth husband. Now, how many of you know she had a thirst? <laughs> Didn't mean it to go quite that way. <laughs> it wasn't for that. It was for love. She was thirsty for love. And you know what? She turned to the closest proximity to something that looked kind of like it. But it wasn't working. And what did Jesus say in John chapter 4? He said, anyone who drinks this water. Now, there was a well there. But I think he was talking about well water and her answer to her need. And he was saying, anyone who drinks that water is going to stay thirsty. But anyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. There is a way for you to get your need for love, encouragement, appreciation met, affection met from the inside out that will change your life forever. I've got a young couple that's going to come up here and help me real quick to do a little illustration. Steve and Emily. Give them a hand as they come up here. Why don't you stand up here, please? All right. Steve and Emily got married. Now, this isn't their true story. Maybe it is, but I don't know. But I'm going to pretend it is. They got married because they were thirsty. Now, is it okay? Yeah. Is it okay to have a need? John, uh, Genesis 2.18 says it's not good for man to be alone. God kind of, you know, marriage is cool. But we're going to talk about what I consider the number one relationship mistake most of us keep making. I'm going to say that again. We're going to talk about the number one relationship mistake most of us keep making. So these folks got married, and here's the deal. Basically, their buckets, this bucket represents everything they need, love, encouragement, appreciation, affection, everything. But I want you to imagine there's only about an inch of water at the bottom, both buckets. It's only about an inch of water. The rest is empty, what Jesus would call thirst. 
And here's the deal. If you don't learn to quench your thirst correctly, you're going to turn to all kinds of ways to do it incorrectly. So, inch of water at the bottom of each of their buckets. How does life look when you try to live life with only an inch of water at the bottom? They've got these cool little basters, and they're just going to kind of share their little stuff. Now, in reality, Steve and Emily, what does life really look like? Now, is that true or not? <laughs> Let me tell you what's wrong with most marriages. What's wrong with most marriages is there are two ticks and no dog. <laughs> most marriages are two people trying to get from one another what neither one of them has. Now, I've learned the secret to a great marriage. The secret to a great marriage is to have an affair. So Steve comes over here, and he has an affair with God. And God fills his bucket. Emily doesn't fill his bucket. Listen to me carefully. His parents don't fill his bucket. His children, you have any children? No children. Not yet. His parents, his children can't, won't, and aren't going to fill his bucket. I'm a friend, I think, or becoming one. I can't fill his bucket. Listen to me carefully. No one can fill his bucket. It isn't that they could, but eh, I ain't gonna. Nobody can fill your bucket. Why? You weren't created to be filled by other people. You were created by, to be filled by having a relationship with whom? God. So Steve comes over here and he has a relationship with God. Guess what? Now his bucket's full all the way up to here. Excuse me, sir. Emily has an affair with God. And guess what? She fills her bucket. Now, can they assist each other in their journey in God? Of course they can. But please don't miss this. Can Steve fill Emily's bucket? No. On his best day, no. Can Emily fill Steve's bucket on her best day? No. No one can fill your bucket but God. It isn't that they could but won't. They can't. Now, while they're still up here, let me say a few things. I've learned something about my own marriage. I don't need, say need one time. I don't need my wife to love me. I want my wife to love me. I love it when she loves me, and thank God she loves me so much it scares me. But listen to me. I don't need her to love me. Why? Who meets my need for love? God does. Now, what if they learn to do that? Oh, well, that just sounds like a lousy way to have a marriage. Let me ask you all a question. His bucket's full all the way up to here now. Her bucket's full all the way up to here now. You think life feels better or worse? Are you kidding me? How about these two wonderful young people learning to come toward one another? Listen now, not to take what neither one of them has, but to give out of their overflow because they're already full. Say yes if that makes sense. All right, give them a hand. Thank you, guys. All right, the number one relationship mistake is found in Exodus 20. 
where we talk about the Ten Commandments, I call them channel markers. Stay inside them. You're going to be okay. Get outside. You're probably going to hit some stuff you don't want to. Well, here's the deal. In Exodus 20, the first three verses, God said this. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods where? Before me, in front of me. All right? Most people would say this is what an idol looks like. We got our idol up there? There we go. Any of you got one of those in your home? Any of you pray to that? Any of you look to that to protect you? Meet your need for love. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's not an idol to me. I don't give two hoots about that. But what about this? This could be an idol. This could be an idol. Parents could be an idol. Look in your notes. Anyone or anything, anyone or anything you look to to meet a need only God can meet is an idol. Anyone or anything you look to, parents, children, spouse, friends, you were created to live from fullness, not for fullness. What if you learned to go into every moment, every relationship with your needs already met? What if you learned to walk into every room you ever walk into full, not needing what they have? All right, let's end with a few action steps. What can you do about this? Number one, deal with your idols. Deal with your idols. What does that mean? You might want to ask God to show you, who, who, when I wake up in the morning, who do I look to to feel loved? Who do I look to to feel secure? Who do I look to to feel valued? Here's the deal, folks. If you're looking to your spouse, your kids, or your parents, if you're looking to your job, guys, to feel valued, loved, and important, you have an idol in your life. Because God wants to help you learn to feel loved, valued, and important. So deal with them. How many of you have ever watched Celebrity Apprentice? What's Donald Trump famous for? You're fired. Well, guess what I did with my idols? I fired them. I fired my wife. I sat her down one day and I said, darling, you're fired. You're fired. You are no longer responsible for meeting my need for love. I fired my father. I fired my children. I fired my friends. I fired a whole bunch of people. And then I turned to God and I said, God, would you please be my number one source for everything I need? And show me whenever I've allowed something else or someone else to get in between us. Number two, learn to let God fill your bucket. Is learn a process or an event? So guess what it's going to take? Practice. Practice letting God fill your bucket. Practice starting your day off, God Thank you that you love me. You know what some of you would be really strengthened by? Write God a letter thanking him for how much he loves you. And in it, tell him all the cool ways that he shows his love to you. Number three, get plenty of R&R in the Father's love. R&R for me, please write this under there. Receive and rest. Receive and rest. Receive and rest. Receive and rest. Ah. I have a PhD in rest. 
Receive and rest in the Father's love. Jesus did it hard so we could do it easy. Let me just read you scriptures. We're closing today. This is from Ephesians 3. I pray that you, this is my prayer for you. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp, to get a hold of, to understand and enjoy how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that every single one of us is a work in progress, but you're not waiting for us to get it together to love us. I pray that you challenge each person in this room to open their hearts to learn to receive your love. God, I, I, I ask that you even challenge some of us to dare to ask you to show us your love in new and fresh ways. And we thank you for it, sir. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.